Hey, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. My name is Stephen Rice, and I direct the Salt Company here. I lead the college ministry. Uh, this week, this next Thursday, is our last Salt Company of the year. Boo, yeah, it's sad. And if you've been coming to Salt Company, man, you want to make the most out of this. If you haven't been coming to Salt Company and you're a college student, well, you got one more chance, you know, you can, you can still make it to one. So we, we'd love to have you. And uh, a lot has happened this year and uh, a lot of things have changed. And even now it's like we, we look at what God has done this past year. I mean, with a church plant in Caleb Hui going off, a lot of things have changed in you. But one thing is not changed and that is that we're gonna be in the book of 1 Corinthians. <laughs> and if you felt like we've been in this book for almost a year, it's because we've been in this book for almost a year. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to be in chapter 15, and we're spending three weeks in chapter 15. Paul preached last week on the first, first 11 verses. Now I'm going to preach on 12 through 34. And uh, Paul is talking all about the resurrection and why why it is important. So you're going to need a Bible. So if you've got one, pull it out. If you've got your phone, pull that out, or just look to the person next to you. You're going to need your Bible to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 12. It was about... This time in spring in 1980, on a Friday that was like any other Friday, sun was shining, it was a great day in the Sunshine State. However, it would lead to a a day filled with chaos and pain for a lot of people. See, a freighter ship coming into the Tampa Bay area that came in through, would go under the Skyway Bridge, was headed to just go into the port of Tampa. And As they showed up that Friday morning early, so did at the very same time, out of nowhere, a squall, a storm, rain sideways, wind blowing so hard. But the worst part of it all on that day in Tampa was a wet, dense fog that set over the bay. And it came in right as this freighter ship that was about three football fields long as it was coming into the port under the Skyway Bridge, the Sunshine Skyway Bridge, and it came instantly out of nowhere, and he wasn't expecting it. Next thing you know, the ship is being pushed and turned, and he can't see, and because of this dense fog, he has no idea what is in front of him. And until he sees it finally, the freighter is headed right for one of the pylons of the bridge. So he slams the engine into reverse. He drops anchor, tries to steer the ship, but to no avail. The freighter ship runs right into one of the pylons, and the bridge begins to shake and turn, and next thing you know, a big portion of the end of the Skyway Bridge falls. And because it was a foggy, rainy day, the people that were driving in the road had no idea the bridge was out. Led to a lot of chaos, a lot of pain, a lot of death this wet, dense fog that blocked what was in front of him and could not see. It wasn't his fault. What we see in our text today is something that maybe you experience every now and then. That there is like this dense fog in your life that blocks you from seeing what is actually in front of you, what is actually truth, that blocks reality. Maybe it is discouragement or doubt or questions in your life that just like sit like a fog and what you thought you saw now, you don't know. This is what Paul addresses to the church at Corinth. 
that there is a fog that has blocked them from seeing the truth. And he is going to direct, he is going to address it directly and speak truth into their situation. To speak like a light that burns away the fog. And we read about what this was that was blocking their reality in verse 12. Look with me in verse 12. What is this fog that is now sitting? And what I hope today is that you see that the truth of this gospel, it it will change, yes, our future hope, but it will also change our present right now. Verse 12. Now, Paul says, this is the whole point of this chapter. He's bringing up this point. Last week, he talked about the gospel that Jesus came, died, rose again. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? We see the thing that is blocking them from seeing the truth. There is no resurrection of the dead. The truth in Corinth is that some people were starting to question or wonder or doubt if resurrection was going to happen. Now, this isn't absurd because in Greek culture, this was not the case. They didn't believe that there was going to be a physical resurrection after you die. The Jewish people did believe that one day the Messiah would come and would bring everyone back to life and God would reign again. That's why they would be buried facing the east because they believed the Messiah would come and they would be awaiting his return. But everyone other than the Jews in that area did not believe in a physical resurrection. When you died, that was it, or your, at least your soul, this kind of like immortal soul would just go on to being. What Paul is, is wondering, and we don't really know why, but this has crept into the, the believers at Corinth, that maybe, maybe there is no life and resurrection for me after I die. And Paul knows something that maybe they don't know, that this is like a deadly, dense fog that has deadly circumstances. And what Paul does in chapter 15 is like, he comes running down the bridge that he knows is out. And he says, this way, it leads to death. You need to know this will only end in destruction. And we will see just exactly why he knows questioning the resurrection and life after death is so vital and why it is so deadly. And as we've seen Paul do in this letter, he often will begin to make his point by asking questions. So he'll just start asking questions, rhetorical questions that lead to like a logical progression of like, all right, if that's what you think is true, well, then what about this? What about this? And we see this, what he asks in verse 13. And what Paul's going to show us that it has deadly consequences and that if what they're believing is not the gospel and it is anything but good. Look at verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, So he's saying, if what you believe is true, then not even Christ has been raised. Some of you, math, equations, that's good for you. I'm not very smart, but even I'm not very smart, it's pretty simple. If X, then Y, okay? So if X, if resurrection is not possible, there's no resurrection of the dead, X, then Y. Jesus himself could not raise from the dead. If there is no resurrection, life after death, Okay, well, then Jesus did not rise from the dead. It's impossible. 
And then he tells us, and if why, if why is true, there is a whole new reality that is created. Or better yet, there is a whole new world that is destroyed. Because if Christ did not raise from the dead, there are a lot of things that are in vain, empty. And he's going to list out everything that would be true if there is no resurrection, starting with Christ could not have raised from the dead. So read with me in verse 14. All these things that would be true. If there is no resurrection life. If there is no resurrection of the dead, this is what's true. First and foremost, Christ could not have raised from the dead. And if that's true, look at all of these. Verse 14. And if Christ had not been raised from the dead, if he had not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. And so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised Christ up, whom he did not raise up. If in fact the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Okay, six implications Paul gives us immediately. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then there's no resurrection of Christ. And if Christ has not literally, physically rose from the dead, this is not true. Verse 14. These are the things, the six implications. Then our proclamation is in vain. If the tomb is not empty, this is what's true. Verse 14, our proclamation is in vain. Our preaching, Paul's preaching, as he is sharing the gospel and telling the gospel, he's saying this is, this is in vain. It does no good to proclaim a message of good news when there is no good news. There's no resurrection of the dead. There's no resurrection of Christ. If there's no resurrection of Christ, there is no good news. Our proclamation is in vain. That word vain just means empty. Holds no meaning. Not only that, number two, and so your faith is in vain. And so too is your faith. Not only is our preaching the thing that keeps you going, what you build your life on, faith. The thing that you hold on to, it is empty. The thing you hope for. If Christ is not resurrected from the dead, your faith is empty. You have no faith. He continues, verse 15, number three. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised Christ up, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. What Paul is saying is like, if Christ did not raise from the dead, we are liars. And we're not only liars, we're lying about God. And we are testifying falsely about God. We are in opposition of who God truly is. We are proclaiming a false message. We're working against the God. So not even like, are we kind of twisting the truth? We would be testifying wrongly about God. We're not even close. If God didn't do this and we're saying God did this, we are working against God himself. He gives us another one, continuing in verse 17. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. 
So those who have put their faith in Christ, not just in this life, but for the next, when they perished, if there is no resurrection of the dead and Christ did not raise from the dead, then those who have died in Christ are dead forever. They are perished. We will never see them again. There is no hope after death. The people that you have lost in your life are lost. And finally, he concludes at the end of verse 17. And we should be pitied more than anyone. The truth is, Paul was spending his life proclaiming and preaching a message, seeking to know Christ and his suffering and to know his resurrection, to obey Christ. And he's saying, if Christ, if there is no resurrection, life after death, and Christ has not been raised from the dead, then you should look at a Christian and be like, man, I am sorry because you are wasting your life. He says, you should look at me and I should be pitied because my faith, my obedience, worthless, meant nothing. If there is no life after death, it's meaningless. If Christ had not raised from the dead, basically what Paul is saying, the Christian life is vain. It's empty. What Paul is working to do in these, these, chap, these verses here, 14 through 19, is to show us the utter hopelessness of a tomb that's not empty. If the tomb is not empty, everything changes. There is no hope. There is no good news. There is no pardon for our sin. I think I actually skipped that one. You are still in your sins. Probably the most important one. So let me go, just quickly go back. You can see it in verse 17. Your faith is worthless. You are in your sins. If Christ died for your sins and stayed dead, he did not prove to be the son of God, the Messiah. Therefore, the atonement that the cross was meant for, inexistent. You are still in your sins, waiting for someone to come save you from your sin. You stand in opposition before God. There is this great divide, and you have no Savior who's come for you. If the tomb is not empty, God did not come for you to save you. That was just someone else claiming to be who ended up being a false teacher. He's telling us, if the tomb is not empty... Life is in vain. There is no good news, no pardon for your sin, no life after the grave, and no hope for justice to make all things new. And the truth is, most of the world is living in this reality. Not in the reality of a risen Savior. The world with a tomb that's not empty is not good news. This should be a sobering reality. And I wonder if some of us have allowed, like Corinth, maybe a fog to fall over our life, our thinking, our theology, where the tomb, it's not empty, or maybe in our own words, it just doesn't matter that much. Like it doesn't really affect my life. How important really is the resurrection of the dead? How really is important that God is going to raise up those who have died? How important is it the fact that he raised Jesus up from the dead? 
What Paul is saying, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, he was not who he says he was. He is not the savior of the world and we are still looking for a savior. And we are still in our sin and death is going to sting because death will lead us into a separation eternally from God. If Christ has not risen from the dead, he is not Lord and we have no savior. If the tomb is empty right now, we come and we sing empty songs. We pray empty prayers. We live empty lives. If the dead are not raised and Christ has not been raised, if the tomb is not empty, our life is. This is, this is hopelessness. This is, this is Easter without Sunday. This is living in the reality of a Saturday world. This is, this is a long winter, as C.S. Lewis puts it, without Christmas. This is life and suffering and death with no hope of eternal life. If, if Christ came and died but did not raise from the dead physically, literally, we are in a hopeless situation. We are living like the disciples did, like Mary did on Sunday where they go to a tomb to perform lifeless religious rituals of washing a dead body. If the tomb is not empty, that is what we do every Sunday, perform lifeless religious rituals to a king that has died. And this does not bring hope. Notice what the disciples felt on Saturday. It was not joy, it was devastation. It was brokenness, hopelessness. There is no hope for them on Saturday because Christ died. The tomb is full. Their hope is empty. And that is true of all of the world for us too. Lifeless, emptyless, hopeless. If the verse stopped at 19. but it doesn't. And Paul speaks into this, this cloud, this doubt that you might think, ah, oh, what's the big deal about an empty grave? And maybe we even hear the whispers of, can God really perform miracles? Did Christ actually rise from the dead? Listen, Paul speaks into it right now in verse 20 and says this, but as it is, Paul exchanged the, the word if and he puts an is in there, but as it is, he speaks the reality of the situation. He speaks through the fog that has clouded their mind and tells them like it is, and he tells them what has happened. He interjects hope into a hopeless situation. Tolkien coined this phrase called eucatastrophe. Catastrophe, we know, is something that is a downturning, a, a hopeless situation that's only getting hopeless. But Tolkien adds the, the, the prefix you in front of it is a Greek word good, a good downturning. And he, he, he weaves this into all of his works, his best known work, Lord of the Rings. If anyone has seen Lord of the Rings or read Lord of the Rings, you, you'll notice this in Tolkien's writing. It is in the darkest moments, the most hopeless of moments, Life, hope, a sign that the world is turning, not for bad, not for darkness, but good. This is what Paul writes in verse 20, and this is what it should do in our hearts. 
as we contemplate whether or not the tomb is empty, Paul writes in verse 20, but as it is, Christ has risen from the dead. This is good news. This is this is great news. This is the news that, that breaks forth on Saturday morning into Sunday morning. This is Christmas that has finally broken the winter spell. This is the hope of life even in the middle of death. That's what Paul is, is pointing us to. It's a catastrophe. It's but as it is. And guys, listen, we cannot brush past this. This, this empty tomb like it's just another day. Because this is what all of our hope hinges on. It hinges on an empty tomb. See, see when Mary on, on Sunday morning went to the tomb and saw that it was empty, did not carry on her day. Like she didn't, she didn't keep her regularly programmed schedule. And she'd be like, okay, great, the tomb's empty. Jesus is alive. Well, I got lunch with Martha in a little bit and... You know, maybe, hmm. And, and it wasn't even just moderately good news. Like, oh man, Jesus is alive. Maybe, maybe this is gonna give me a good outlook on life. This is gonna help me. Maybe Martha can stop being so busy. I need to tell her Jesus is alive. There's hope for you, Martha. No. She, it doesn't just affect her a little bit. What does she do? when she encounters the risen Savior in the garden, when Jesus sees her and says, Mary, what does she do? She grabs onto him, and then Jesus says, go. And what does she do? She runs. She runs to the disciples. I gotta, I gotta tell somebody that the tomb is empty. This changes everything. And when Peter, my dog, when he hears the fact that maybe the tomb is empty. What does he do? He runs. I hate running. <laughs> it's pointless. Caitlin in our connection group, she's a great runner. I hate running. I only run if there's something important. Why? would they run? They run because they know the truth. If the grave is empty, if the rumor is true, this doesn't just change a little. It changes everything. This, this brings hope into death, life. This pierces through everything we've thought about God and humanity and myself. God has come. Jesus is alive. Death is defeated and so they ran. Because as it is, Paul writes, but as it is, Christ has raised from the dead. He knows this is a truth that changes everything. And our hope is not empty because the tomb is. Our hope is not in vain because the tomb is in vain. It's empty It reverses everything that was true if the resurrection was not possible and Christ had not been raised from the dead. Our preaching is now powerful because it is the truth about God. Our faith is not in vain because it, it, is, it is reality. We have put our faith in a risen Savior who has saved us from our sin and conquered death and proved to be who he says he was, the eternal Son begotten of the Father, raised into victorious life, living in the throne, 
those who have died on this earth have not perished, but are alive with this risen Savior right now, whom we will see again. And pity, oh, you don't need to pity me because I have the words of life. I've got meaning and purpose. I know the God who created all things and who has come to live with me and to give me life. Christ's resurrection breaks open the door of an entire new reality, one where you can know God, one where you can be forgiven of your sin, one where you can live forever with God, have purpose right now in this world and have hope for the future. And how can we know that this is coming? Paul tells us in verse 20. Look at verse 20, how we can know that this glorious future of hope with him and redemption a new creation of all things, he tells us in verse 20. But as it is, Christ has risen from the dead. And he calls it this, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul uses this term, first fruits. And I don't know a lot about farming. So I Googled it. And here's what first fruits means. It means the first of the fruit. So I get paid the big bucks here, you know. <laughs> it, is, it is the crop that comes up that, that points to what is coming ahead. It's showing you that this is about to come. I've, I've planted this earlier and now I'm reaping it and I see the fruit that is to come. He's saying Christ's resurrection, the fact that he has risen from the dead, is the first fruit. It is a sign of what is to come. Resurrection has happened with Christ. And he is saying, for those who are in Christ, this is what's coming. A conquering of death. A defeating of the grave. A, through the passing of death, will not lead to death, but lead to life. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ rose again and ascended to the Father, showing that those who are in Christ will rise again and live with the Father. Verse 21, because this is important, it shows us what's next and what happens. Verse 21, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made a lot. Paul takes us back all the way back to the beginning. Back to the garden, seeing it's perfect. There's life, living forever, no sin, no death. It's perfect. You've heard this story, right? Yeah, flip open to your beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1, 2. It's great. No death. Enter Adam. Enter Adam. Enter sin. Willingly, passionately disobeyed against God, his creator, and entered a new door that opened up that entered sin and death into the world. And Paul tells us that death came through Adam. Sin came into the world through Adam and we are descendants of Adam, humanity. We were born into sin. And not only were we born into sin, we willingly and passionately chose sin on our own. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all, passionately chosen to disobey God. Enter a new door of death and corruption and chaos into the world. But then, 
Enter Christ, the Messiah, never sinned, perfectly obedient, son of the father, died on the cross as the punishment and payment for sin, rose again and offers new life and resurrection life to anyone who would just come to him. And the door, that was in, in the same way the door was open to sin through one man, what Paul is saying is through one man, Jesus Christ, life is opened up. One man brought the possibility of a life eternal for all people. But it's not just all people that Christ has brought life to. It's all people who are in Christ. This is both inclusive and exclusive. It's inclusive for whoever believes. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. Anyone, anyone. But it's also exclusive of who will be made alive in the last day. Who will be resurrected into life? Those who are in Christ. So for you today, one of the greatest questions you can ask myself is, who is Jesus to me? Is he my Lord? What does this look like as we are awaiting this, this Savior of first fruits of the resurrection? The resurrection, Jesus has come, he ascends into heaven, but now what does life look like and what does our future hope lie in? Well, he tells us in verse 23 what it looks like to be made alive. Verse 23, he says this, Christ is the first fruit of all creation. All will be made alive. And now he says this, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, and afterwards at his coming. So Christ is coming again because he's alive. He's going to come down. And those who belong to Christ will be resurrected from the dead. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father when he abolishes all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be abolished is death, for God has put everything under his feet. And now, when he says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is, an, is the exception. When everything is subject to Christ, then the son himself will be subject to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all in all. This is what Paul is saying about the future. Christ wins. Christ is coming back and he will put an end to death once and for all. He will overthrow the, the rulers and the principalities and the authorities and dominions of all. He will come back and put an end to death and hell and Satan. We see that Christ is risen. He is coming back, bringing us a glorious future for those who are in Christ. For those who are in Christ, one day there will be no tears, no pain, no sin, no death. He is coming back to put an end to all of the things of this world. Jesus wins. Jesus as the only begotten son of the Father who was slain but is risen victoriously. And for those who are in Christ, this is your future. This is your future hope. That Jesus rose and is coming back. That he is who he says he was. That he on the cross and in the empty tomb has put an end to sin. He's put an end to death. 
and that life is possible. And this is our future, but it doesn't just affect our future. This this eternal hope actually affects our Monday mornings. Look look what I mean here. In verse 29, Paul's going to ask a couple rhetorical questions here again. And the first one is, is going to shock you a little bit because it's, it's pretty weird. But he's going to lead us to, sh- to show us that this future reality also just affects our day-to-day. So brace yourself for the first question. All right, here we go, verse 29. Otherwise, Paul says, if this is true, that Christ is coming back, put on. Otherwise, what will they do who are being baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people being baptized for them? Okay, what in the world's going on at Corinth? There are people being baptized for the dead. And so what in the world does that mean? What is baptism of the dead? And what are they doing? Well, listen closely, and I'm gonna tell you what this means. You ready? Nobody really knows. (laughs) Scholars assume that there's about uh, like 30 interpretations of what this could mean. And the best guess is that this was a religious practice that some were partaking in of those who had faith but died before Christ came, before they heard the gospel, but they were faith in the one true God. And so they were, what they were trying to do was perform a baptism for someone who had passed away earlier on. Now, there's a lot of different interpretations of what that could mean. I think that was the best guess. But here's, here's Paul's point in this, is not to talk about baptism of the dead. He doesn't even call out baptism of the dead, even though I, I don't think that's a thing that anyone should be doing. He doesn't confirm it anywhere else. But here's Paul's point in bringing it up. It's a rhetorical device saying, if you are baptizing someone for the dead, like on behalf of someone who's dead, doesn't that mean that you believe that there is life after the dead, right? Like if you're baptizing someone for someone who's been dead, and earlier saying there's no resurrection of the dead, this makes no sense. It's, it's like sometimes when you see in like atheist and secular, like society and naturalists, when a tragedy happens and everyone's like tweeting out, put on Facebook, like, oh my gosh, praying for those victims. Like praying to who? Like trees? Like here, here's my point. The fact that you're doing this action shows in your heart that you're actually believing something to be true. Like, why would you be praying if you didn't believe in God? What Paul is saying, why baptize for the dead if you don't believe that there is life after death? It should affect us even in our present, which it does. Even though that's not a positive example, Paul now gives a positive example of how life after death impacts your present reality. Look at this, verse 30. In the same way that that doesn't make sense, Paul points to himself and he says, this doesn't make sense. Verse 30, why are we, those who are carrying the gospel to the churches, in danger every hour? If I face death every day, as surely as I may boast about you, brothers and sisters, in Christ Jesus our Lord, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man, what good did that do me? This is what Paul is saying. Why would I do all of the things that I did if I didn't believe in the resurrection? If I didn't believe that there is a life after death that has been bought and promised by Jesus Christ, then 
why would I go about these things? Why would I be nearly beaten to death in Ephesus for preaching the gospel that isn't even true? If the, and then he says this line at the end of verse 33 or 32. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Paul is saying, if this isn't true, then everything I'm doing is empty. And here's what I'll tell you today. If Christ had not risen from the grave, if the tomb is not empty, you should leave this place and go eat and drink. Because tomorrow, who knows, you could die. So what are you doing wasting your time here? If Christ is not risen, and there is no life after this one, why are you wasting your time? Why are you coming to Salt Church on a Sunday morning? Why would you go to a tomb to perform a religious ritual that has no meaning and it's empty? But Paul knows this is not reality. And that is a fog that the gospel has pierced through and brought clarity and light into the world. That there is life after death. God has come for his people. Christ has risen from the grave. The tomb is empty. Life is not in vain. Paul is not a mere man. He is going through life carrying a life beyond the grave. Life is not in vain is because he has life flowing through his veins. This resurrection has changed his life because the, the one who created all the world spoke all things into being, has sent his son to die for your sins. And this Savior has risen from the grave victoriously, conquering your sin and mine and death itself so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This resurrection life, oh man, it begins to bring us life and brings life coursing in our veins, piercing in our veins, where we walk through this life both with a future hope and a present purpose and a present power. This resurrection isn't just for your tomorrow, it's for your today. Like for those who are walking into this room and thinking like, I don't know how to keep going. Is this all worth it? I'm curious, like what in your life right now feels like it could never rise again? What in your life feel like it couldn't be resurrected? What is lacking hope? Because when the fog clears and you see that God has rendered death defeated, this opens a door to new life, a new reality. So maybe it's a broken relationship with a friend that seems hopeless to you. Maybe it's a feeling like you have no purpose right now on this earth. Maybe it's a friend you know that has walked away from the faith. 
Maybe it's a hidden sin in your life that you are trying to keep secret and you hope no one knows about because you know that you could never actually change. Maybe it's a cloud of sadness that just keeps encompassing you every day. Listen, the gospel speaks to that. The empty tomb is hope for that. The empty tomb is not just a future hope we cling to. It's a present power in our life to see our life transformed, to see dead things come to life. And this is possible. You have to believe this is possible for you. Addictions, relationships, transformation. If God can raise someone from the dead, can he not take the dead things in your life and breathe life into them? Change is possible, not just one day when you are changed in eternity, but the Holy Spirit of God that is coursing in your veins. You can be transformed now. This is what Romans 6, 4 talks about. When he says that we identify with Christ in his resurrection and in his death, but now we identify in his, his new life and we can walk by the spirit in the newness of life. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. You can experience empty grave moments every single day. You can experience the you catastrophe, the light in the darkness. Those sadness and suffering may be around you. Listen, don't let that create a fog. See what is true. The tomb is still empty. And that means this life is not. And your faith is not. He closes with this, and I'm done, verse 33. He says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses, stop sinning. For some are ignorant about God. I say this to your shame. Saying, don't be deceived. Don't fall to this lie. It's blocking the reality. Apparently there were some in the Corinthian church and we see it from the whole letter who have come into the church and tried to create divisions and controversies about little type minuscule theology things and he's creating division in the church. And some of them have even begun to plant questions of like, yeah, is the resurrection even real? Will we even rise? Did Christ really raise from the dead? And he's saying, don't be deceived. Come to your senses. That phrase means sober up. You've been living in a daze. It's time to sober up, wake up, and see reality as it is. And as it is, the grave is empty. Death has been defeated. Christ is victorious. This gives us hope and future. Keep going, Florence. You can do it. That's what Florence Chadwick's friends would have been shouting as she attempted to Swim 26 miles between the Catalina Island and California. Keep going, Florence. You're almost there. But as she swam 26 miles across this treacherous journey and the boat was there to protect her from sharks and to grab her if she was drowning as she was trying to make this 26-mile swim, halfway through the swim, a dense fog encompassed Florence. And after 15 hours, this fog set in and it became thicker. Keep going, Florence, you can do it. And she swam for another hour until finally she stopped swimming. And she was pulled from the water onto the boat. And as she stepped foot on the boat, 
she began to see what she could not see from the water in the dense fog. She was a half mile from shore. She would later say that, I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Here's what you need to know. Whatever doubt, whatever discouragement, whatever fog has clouded your life right now, look to the shore. Look to the empty tomb. And like a never-ending well, draw hope from this because death is not the end. Life is coming right now and eternal. Our king is alive and on the throne. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would see it clearly. I pray that right now your truth would pierce through the fog. Father, that we would see the hope of the empty grave, the hope of a resurrected Savior. I pray that we would see this and know that life with you right now is possible. You can redeem all things. You can save all things. You can make all things new in our life. Jesus, you will forgive us of sins. You will offer us eternal salvation because you have conquered the grave. Father, would we also cling to a hope that this is our future reality, that one day, though we will pass through the waters of death, we will live with you eternal and forever. Would we hold on to that hope? Would we keep going? In Jesus' name, amen.